Hell's bells. <clears throat> All right, take three is the is the is the. Hey folks, welcome to Office Hours. Uh, don't start laughing, Barry. You're throwing me off. I did nothing wrong. You did. I am allowed to laugh quietly by myself and enjoy things for what they are in my mind. Every time you interrupt me by giggling, I'm going to dock your pay. <sighs> Hey folks, welcome to the Office Hours with Dr. C, uh, and we actually have a pretty crowded office uh, today. So, um, uh, going, I, I, I feel compelled to introduce this in a particular way. So we are, why am I making up these words as we go along? It's like I didn't just think about what it is we're going to say at the beginning. See, listen. I had no influence over this. Thank you. That was, n- none of this was my fault. I was doing fine until you were laughing, Barry. Listen, don't fight in front of the children. <laughs> and speaking of the children, we have two students with us today. They're not technically kids, although you tend to think of them that way. They are young people. (laughs) How is any of this? Okay, it's fine. Listen, I'm trying to introduce the damn show, Barry. All right? Stop fighting me. Uh, So Barry and I are joined by a couple uh, former students that we've had. I don't know. Is Jack still your student? I don't know. He is officially no longer on my registry. It's fine. We're good. (laughs) You're trying to get the terminology right. He's probably more thankful for that than anyone here, but whatever. Uh, We are joined by a couple repeat um, uh, or return guests, I should say, uh, Jack Nahigian and and Isaiah Hardy. I'll let them introduce themselves in just a moment, but just a note about today's episode outside of already going off the rails, depending on how much Barry has elected to include in this introduction. Um, This is going to be an extended conversation that we are going to have. We're going to post in two parts. So it'll be about the Batman film. If you haven't seen it, I strongly encourage you to do so before listening to this. That being said, we're going to try to find a natural halfway point in which to edit this so that part part one will be today. Part two will be next week. And yeah, so just to bear that in mind. Now, um, I believe it was Yoda who said that we are what they grow beyond. And I don't know if that's the case yet with these two young people, but we're going to see as this goes, uh, <laughs> as this moves forward. So uh, why don't we start with uh, Jack and then Isaiah, if y'all would introduce yourselves in case people you know may have forgotten, because it's been a while since y'all have been on the show. About a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hello, my name is Jack. Uh, I did two previous episodes. I had the uh, pleasure to be on Office Hours. Since then, you've had some beautifully, like you had some great teachers, some great people of faith discuss these movies and these comic books and then you went back to us and i'm like what where, where did it go wrong you texted me and said hey <laughs> we need to do this let's make yeah, it happen okay. yeah what, what's with this it was dr c what kind of doctor are you he bribed me by saying you have such a great show let's do another episode and i can be easily bought so that's <laughs> true but yes uh it's great to be back um as Dr. Cruz was saying, I was very much moved about this uh, this movie, and I wanted to hop back on the podcast, and he was gracious enough to say, yeah. yeah. All right. Isaiah? Hey, y'all. Uh, it's Isaiah. Um, I haven't been on the show in a little minute, and I just know that when I was in the theater, you know, watching this masterpiece before me, tears welling in my eyes, I broke cold. And the cold that I broke was, you're never supposed to get on your phone in the theater, and the first thing I did was text Jack and I said, this is the greatest movie of all time. Like I I had a moment where I forgot who was Christian Bale. Like I, I totally forgot about the Dark Knight and I just reveled into this and I needed 
to be like the prophet Paul and I needed to spread the gospel. And there's no better place than this podcast <laughs> to spread this gospel. <laughs> of all the apostles to pick, Paul, all right. That's oh, yeah. setting the tone. Because, you know, Paul, you know, knocked down some doors hey, and murdered some people. Paul, so I guess that's Paul, thematic. Paul had the Black Air Force once. He knew what he was about, okay? <laughs> so, but, yeah, I'm ready to hop right on into it. Like, like. So, so in the interest of, uh, of disclosure, um, you know, Jack and Isaiah had some really good ideas for this, and so I'm happy to sort of let them sort of steer the ship here. I have some thoughts, Barry. Uh, Ooh, yeah, there's. I have words. Yeah, Barry is going to be our resident dissenting opinion. Yeah. Um, so, and of course, all the thoughts that I have like come back to like Nazis and stuff because, of course, they do. Uh, it's kind of the headspace I've been in for a while now. So, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, where would y'all like to begin this conversation of the Batman? I think we need a warm up to the Nazi headspace, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. That's fine. We okay. can ease into it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think the best place to begin any story is the beginning. Um, so let's just go right to the beginning of the film. Um, I was doing some homework. Not gonna lie, I was on HBO Max just like 15 minutes ago, trying to catch right back up. Oh, my boy Jack took notes, and I just want to open up to the <laughs> opening credits. Okay. Um, in the opening credits, you already know something bad is about to go down because you hear this creepy opera music playing in the background. And then it opens up to the words, the Batman. And even in the way the words were actually like the context and how the words were written, it actually takes you instantly into the animated series, uh, the Batman animated series, because you remember watching it and you remember how the text was created. So instantly you open up and you're like, okay, we're ready, right? Now for me, I don't know about y'all, but when the when the Riddler was looking through the window, I was already on a 10 level of anxiety because when the little kid had that uh, sword and he was playing with his dad, in my mind, I'm on a 10. I'm like, dang, kids are killing their parents already? Can we like ease into this? <laughs> You know, but like Jack, let me let me ask you something, man. When you were watching it and you were watching the first scene where, you know, the mayor is looking at the television screen and he's like, he's like, I need to win for Gotham. Did you have the question, which I believe everybody did, was how come he did not feel the Riddler in the room? Like you can. F Again, like the, the Riddler's been preparing for this. And that that was that was a great. I mean, that was one of my favorite parts, like seeing it in the theater was that audience reaction, it was literally a horror movie reaction when the mayor walks to the side and the TV just illuminates his face. And I was like, we're in for a treat once that happened. I was like, this is going to be scary. This is going to be real. And again, like immediately, like he's just so calm and still and then waiting for his moment. And then when it just hits that like absolute like out of nowhere attack, again, setting the president what this movie is going to be and i was like oh i'm in now let's go let's 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 keep mm -hmm. it going so a, a note on that that just came to mind uh isaiah when you were talking about the creepy music that's ave maria that's <laughs> that's that's a classical like operatic church song literally hail mary <laughs> but it did it did set a particular tone mm -hmm. right like that that uh, particular rendition of it being very sort of you know highfalutin and and classical sounding and then you're right you're in that room and it to me when i saw the inside of the mayor's uh, office is like this is not a lived in room mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. right this is not the the space of a guy who's like clearly like been burning the midnight oil things like that in fact he's watching his own debate mm -hmm. right on screen 
uh, and he's on the phone with his campaign manager about, you know, fussing about how, you know, how is she still polling well and this, that, and the other. Um, and it was, I thought it was really interesting to that point of he didn't notice that the Riddler was in the room of he is dissociated from his environment. Mm -hmm. He is single-mindedly focused on this particular thing, which is winning and not necessarily uh, if like if he were more cognizant of his surroundings, maybe that would suggest to me narratively that like he is more in tune to the people around mm -hmm. him, but he's not right. He's cold and he's isolated from all that stuff. And then he gets got. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of kind of going off of what you're saying, I think I, so I've, I've watched this movie three times. That is nine hours of my life that I've dedicated to this film, <laughs> which is either sad or very interesting or a bit of both. Mm -hmm. But um, watching this pastime, I was wondering, is is that Carmine Falcone on the phone? I, you know what? When mm. he's talking about why why are we like I've been doing all these right things? We put out like these like exclusively good press release stuff on me. Like, yeah, where's why my are, bump in the pool? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing? Why are we still doing so bad? And so I was like, oh, is mm, okay. Another aspect of the scene that I really like is um, the actual the initial attack mm. uh, from the Riddler mm -hmm. that. Um, one the the thing that stood out to me the most was his kind of like verbal outburst that mm. seems somewhat uncontrolled, mm -hmm. but also not the mark of an experienced killer who has like done this over and over mm -hmm. again, right? Like uh, usually how assassins are coded, they're silent, they're professional, they're to the point, they get the job done and they get out. Mm -hmm. And this guy like almost squeals as he does his initial attack, mm. which he does so effectively, but at the same time it's awkward mm -hmm. yeah. and a little bit weird. So and and it, it sets the tone for, ooh, here's something about this character that we're gonna like learn more about. It kind of foreshadows mm -hmm. what we learn about him at the very mm -hmm. end so in, in a satisfying sort of way so in in the spirit of easing into that uh nazi headspace i'm gonna make this real uncomfortable <laughs> okay. so as we'll, we can talk a little bit about later um i would suggest the that um the riddler is coded as a bit of an incel yes right that sort of chronically online personality who is uh, profoundly bad at making human connections and any of us can be bad at making human connections. That's not inherently a moral evil, but that he it then turns into a resentment, a malice, uh, a ill intent with those whom he cannot connect and with, a rallying point and a rallying point. Yeah. And if we also take it to the uh, perspective of, uh, you know, sexual contact uh, and violence both being at points of intersection between physical bodies um, and with him being an incel yes. and this being almost like a awkward first attempt at sex uh, on his part that he, he, and, and we have to understand that in, in media and storytelling as well as unfortunately to some extent in life, the, the convergence of uh, sexuality and physical violence is pretty common, particularly as a storytelling right. mean mm -hmm. um, he is engaging in that first act, ostensibly, mm -hmm. uh, of the physical contact, and he is both excited for it, but also completely inept, mm -hmm. right? Uh, such that I think he he does. What's the what's the instrument he uses? Uh, carpet, it's a, it's carpet, like carpet, yeah, carpet tucker, right? Um, and so he, it, which is not a particularly effective weapon, right? Yeah. It's probably mm -hmm. something that he maybe had access to. We could base off of the sort of like. Um, I would think of it like an industry metal kind of like aesthetic he goes for. Uh, so yeah, he he's this is his first round day with with this. He's not good at it. He loses control a little bit of himself. He lacks discipline and that kind of thing. And importantly, it is entirely predatory, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? 
And so that sort of, if we read into it in that way, that does set up a lot of where we see the character going. But if you want to put it in that manner, when you said, uh, what did you say? He was a reckless, out of control, predatory. If you want to look at it in that manner, look at who he's following. If we go, I know we said, let's start at the beginning, but if you really think about it, go to the scene where he's talking to Batman when he finally gets captured. And he's like, we did this together. If you really start looking Mm -hmm. at it from that perspective, look at how the Riddler makes his moves. He goes in above. He comes from above the rooftop. He goes down. Then he he suddenly appears through the shadows and you can't hear him. You can't see him, right? He he comes Mm -hmm. from the darkness he he attacks brutally you know think he's nasty he's, he's nasty yeah. he doesn't he he gets the job done he creates his own weaponry um then he'll use other people to get what he needs done who does this sound like throughout the film but, but isaiah this sounds so hauntingly familiar to another exactly character. like it it, it it literally is like if you want to put it in a form of um it's cobblepot, isn't it? Of course, of course, of course. But if you want to put it in a in a relationship way of how he's like getting um his rocks off in this way, then the love letter is to Batman because he's patterning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all his moves to Batman. So when you do that, when you do that, you then start really evaluating. Okay, if this murderer who is saying I'm killing all these people because of the sins they have committed against me my peers, and the city of Gotham, then what is, are you really saying about the protagonist, which we all are supposed to root for? What what are we saying about that? Because we're also then saying Batman, in a sense, and the Riddler, in a sense, are on the same side. So, right? and, and that makes an interesting point because um, going off of this, this idea of uh, the Riddler imitating Batman in a very sort of incel way. So if, if for those who are not familiar, I should have said this earlier, incel means involuntary celibate, which means that um, to be crass, they'd be having sex if it weren't for these girls, right? Is kind of the thought here. Um, so if we, it, part of that perspective is also, um, uh, the incel perspective is also categorizing men in tiers and hierarchies, including those who are aspirational levels versus those like they see themselves as less than that kind of thing. And that there is a sort of uh, external force that puts people in different hierarchies, mm-hmm. whether that's sociological or economic or genetic. genetic or anything else, right? Natural, what have you. Um, so in this case, we could see the Riddler as this sort of incel perspective, looking at Batman as the alpha male type, mm-hmm. right? As being the aspirational right, version. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's also in that the conceit that he thinks that Batman doesn't go far enough because Batman isn't killing people. He's arresting folks, that kind of thing. So in his attempt to sort of disrupt the apple cart, because that's a part of being an incel is that you are locked in this, you, you are conceptualizing yourself as being locked in this perpetual struggle against this hierarchy that simultaneously exists at the same time that you can't escape. So he knows he can't be Batman, but he does try to be friends with Batman mm-hmm. at one point. And a way of measuring his worth to sort of elevate himself in that hierarchy is to go that extra step of actually committing murder instead of the, you know, I won't say not, not at all nonviolent, but non-lethal. Well, I'll also, also say that like <laughs> incel culture from, from the little that I uh, feel like I understand uh, has that relationship that we're talking about, like the alpha male mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. idea that incel culture has, has created. Uh, there is a, a resentment as well an aspirational quality to mm-hmm. the alpha male, right? That we, we resent them because they're so effective at mm-hmm. everything that we wish we had. And, and you see that play out in, in this character here. 
Uh, we, we resent Batman as the mm-hmm. Riddler, but we also emulate him. We try and do a lot of the same tactics. We try and fulfill even better than Batman could what mm-hmm. what we feel like Batman is trying to accomplish and, and going at it that way as well. So apparently yeah, this is this takes place year two of Batman's like yes. a Gotham project as it was. And um, year one would have been copyright infringement. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so again like in the and at the end of the movie Riddler saying I did this because of you. I, I didn't have a way until I saw you. You wearing the mask, mm-hmm. doing these things inspired me. And so I think the Riddler single-handedly has seen Batman take justice into his hands and arrest these people, but has also seen that's done absolutely nothing for the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he sat back, and he's like, I see what he's doing. I like what he's doing. It's effective, but not effective enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's why he's been sitting back. And again, all of this— I'm going to help him out. I'm going to help him out. Like, we're buddies on this. I'll do the things that he can't do, and we'll mm-hmm. all benefit from this. And so, again, like, killing these, like— corrupt uh people of the law and and political figures instills that fear but onto a deeper level that that batman can't do where it's like oh shoot i was about to be like a corrupt cop or i was about to accept like this bribe but now i don't want to be killed by like the riddler so it's like taking his fear to like another level but again like is that is that justice and then at the end we find out that he is vengeance as well Mm -hmm. and so that's that's what makes Batman realize where, oh my God, I've been going at this all wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's very fascinating to tease up a, an interesting sequel. So there's something about this that I want to get into that we've sort of touched around and the issue of corruption and things like that. And also the situ- the circumstances that place people like Bruce Wayne uh, and the Riddler in their respective positions. And that is Gotham itself mm-hmm. and the way that it's framed, because it's a, it's a very different feeling than a lot of the other iterations that we've seen mm-hmm. before. Very much. Right. So what did y'all think of uh, Gotham if we were to position it as a character in the film? I I think this was like one of my personal favorites. It was a character in the film Mm -hmm. this time around. Mm -hmm. It was, my my mom was like laughing the whole time. She's like, it's raining all the time in this movie. And I'm like, that's Gotham, mom. You don't understand. (laughs) But it was just so funny because I, but again, like you see like those, those Greek, or the those gothic influences in it, where it's like again, like ripped straight from the comic books, and then you have the the train trails that are like right above the the iceberg lounge, and I'm like, this is like perfect. This is the most like real grounded, like gritty version. Again, like Isaiah was saying, I, I completely forgot about like Nolan, where I was like, that looks like the most exactly. beautiful city of all time, exactly. Gotham. I was like, even the slums look fantastic compared to this one. Mm-hmm. But again, the the geography of it was amazing, especially for the third act. Mm-hmm. It was something that we haven't seen before, and I was I was very amazed. Like for me, when I was watching it, the one thing that I really grasped with Gotham was the fact that it felt like it that was it. Like it felt like there was no quote unquote hope. Gotham is supposed to be that city where it represents there is no hope. Everything you put into me, I am going to suck out of you. Right? It really made me go back to the comic book No Man's Land where in the comic strip where Mm -hmm. uh, it was like an earthquake and I believe Gotham got hit so hard that they were cut off from the mainland and it was literally just them, right? And when I'm watching the film and I'm watching this city, like, uh, like Jack said, if you go back between the Batman and go back to the Dark Knight Rises, watch the scenes when they're outside, like daybreak, not nighttime, because you can do whatever you want at night. Watch daybreak. Did it not feel like you still had that night element when they were like at the funeral scene 
Like, didn't it not feel like mm. you were still being stalked? Like there was somebody watching you constantly. You never, you never feel safe. I never felt safe watching this movie. Like, like from the beginning to the end, it's one of those cities where you know if you step into this cesspool of sin and destruction, eventually you're going to get wet. Eventually, something is going. To I happen. don't know. I I always feel safe with emo Batman around. <laughs> Something's <laughs> in my head. You're not my father, <laughs> Alfred. You never were. You're not my real dad. <laughs> uh, so, but no, but actually, to the point of like the daylight scenes uh, with the funeral and stuff, um, you, uh, what, what came to mind was I'm trying to like think of how to encapsulate that feeling of the lighting plus the mood and all that kind of wow. stuff. And obviously, that a funeral, so that sets a certain tone. But just like if, you, if, if you've ever heard the song Sunday Morning Coming Down, mm by Johnny Cash, mm. which is literally about, uh, you know, everyone has a place to be on Sunday. Everyone has a home to be in except for the singer of the song. He's walking down like the sidewalk. You get the impression he's probably hung over from like drugs or alcohol, uh, which was, you know, a good time the night before. But now when, every, when the good times go away, and it's just existing, not in a particular miserable state. It's just a, a sense of despair mm. that comes from not necessarily being oppressed but the lack of hope mm. Mm. and the lack of, of uplift. And uh, I think as the, the chorus goes, uh, you know, there's nothing quite as lonely to be found as a body on a Sunday coming down. Um, and I think that's the line. But yeah, that's kind of the feeling that I got. And I would agree. It is very sort of, you know, um, chilling. For lack of a better it's term. it's like very much like whenever like you, like you go into like uh like an old place and you turn on the lights and the rats scurry yeah. away like there's still that like I've th been in places like that but it was cockroaches mm -hmm. I was about to say I yeah. was gonna say cockroaches yeah. but rats are way more cool <laughs> and so so like uh, like everything's gone and out of the way and like all these like like creepy creatures are gone but like still like in there you're like it just feels mm -hmm. off mm -hmm. and they were able to again like with with just the the atmosphere of it they were able to still make it like disgusting and gritty even though it was like in broad daylight yeah the best scene um i didn't mean to cut you off uh but the okay. best scene i think that emulates that go back and watch the funeral scene where bruce wayne is talking to that uh to that random stranger right when he's there because mm -hmm. batman is supposed to represent hope it's 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 weird how batman represents hope for people for real people and he represents uh, he represents hopelessness for criminals, right? But when Bruce Wayne steps into the light and he's talking to that guy, the scene is lit just enough to where you can see their faces, right? But as soon as Bruce Wayne is discovered and found out, what happens? The guy goes back into the shadows, and you can't recognize him, right? Because that's what what happens mm -hmm. when Batman is not there. The city eats you whole, and you become the shadows, and you become the very thing that Batman uses. To pray fear. So it's like a continuous cycle of just hopelessness at the end of the day. It was also even like using the light as the shadows as well. You have the Riddler up on the upper balcony and he's underexposed. Mm. And it's like, again, it's like weirdly using the light as a cloak to stay hidden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, I, I think this is not just a good Batman movie. This is a fantastic movie. The cinema language in this film is spectacular and it's it's made me reevaluate Marvel movies. Mm. Marvel movies are their own yeah. thing. Yeah. I would say I would suggest that this was for Batman what 
Logan was yeah. uh, for the X-Men. Mm. Like in the way that Logan was a Western. Mm. It was in some cases a shot for shot rec- uh, recreation of the movie Shane, mm. right? And this was very much a detective noir story totally. that we haven't really gotten a whole lot of, uh, I'd say in, in the last few decades. Well, right. and another thing that uh, differentiates it from other Batman films is um, anything before Nolan films, Batman is depicted as just an accepted hero mm-hmm. yeah. that just everyone understands. He's part of an mm-hmm. institution of like crime mm-hmm. uh, prevention and stuff like that. Uh, and then the Nolan films cr- uh, creates him a little bit more controversially in that world, right? Yeah. But also a sort of populist hero. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's not it's not mainstream opinion that Batman is everyone's friend. But the people know, yeah. you know, yeah. there's little hints here and there that the people understand that Batman's here for us. And this film differentiates er, it different uh, deviates from that even more so. And and you get a really good glimpse of that right at the beginning when he's uh, taking that, uh, you know, the the face painted gang at, at the beginning mm-hmm. um, when finally they're gone and they're dispersed or, you know, uh, you know, dealing with their brain hemorrhage or whatever. <laughs> Uh, the the guy that he helped is not interested yeah. Yeah, in like, like, like having him back. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. still afraid of him. Like, there's yeah. no like, hey, thank you, Batman. You no, saved no. Me. Yeah. It's it's get away from me, you freak. You know, like I really don't want this. <laughs> Please, you know? dear God, no. The the oh. common the 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 beat not the beat cop uh, the just like the 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 cop at the very beginning when Batman first goes to the crime mm, scene. Martinez. I mean. The regular everyday cops in previous films are like, "Yeah, Batman, you're on my team," mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's the the admin that don't like mm-hmm. uh, Batman. But in this one, the the regular cops are like, "What? What? what? Like you're." You're trying to do my job and you look ridiculous doing it. Like, stop it. And, and there you know? is a lot of antagonism there. So you see that moment when he's, uh, when it's Jeffrey Wright mm-hmm. and uh, when, so Jim Gordon, who is the mm-hmm. excellent Best Jim Gordon. Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, uh, absolutely awesome. But him and Batman and there's all the cops in the interrogation room, right? And, uh, <laughs> and the, they, they provoke a fight and they, you know, swing yeah. a little bit and that kind of thing. And, and the cop says, uh, now I got you on assaulting a cop. And he goes, you got me on assaulting three. And it's like, oh, 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 Bruce. This Bruce is about that life. Like, like that's not just violence to neutralize an enemy. That's like, please, I wish I you would. I wear black for a reason. Um, yeah. this, uh, but again, yeah. like, kind of like going back to that um, relationship with the police, it's like, there's so many things in this film that are like textbook perfection Batman that for some reason we've never seen before. Like Batman actually on the crime scene with the police working hand in hand, they're showing evidence to him. Like that has never been seen before. Like I've, I I felt like I was playing like the Arkham video Mm -hmm. game when this Mm -hmm. was going down and I was like, this is fantastic. And so again, with the um, Jim Gordon and Batman relationship in the Nolan trilogy, it was very much like a keep it on the DL. I'll mm-hmm. give you like a few tips like every once in a while, but you, we can't be seen mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. But again, in like the third act, like Batman's getting like pummeled on top of like the Jumbotron mm-hmm. and Jim Gordon goes, how do I get up there? I mm-hmm. was like, I got chills. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is a bromance. <laughs> I didn't know I needed yeah. and now I can't live yeah. without. My, my favorite was when they're going down the hallway and, and uh, Batman says, no guns. Jim goes, that's your yeah. thing, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> Again, there was like that dynamic. And he was like, he was like, you should have pulled your punches. He's like, I no, was. No, but that <laughs> literally is the the best part. I'm sorry. 
mine beats both of y'all y'all's the best part is but, but no offense no offense but come on now when when jim was like give me 10 minutes give me 10 minutes i'm like jim you gonna switch up and then he was like listen to me we gotta get you out of here i'm like <laughs> i literally started yeah. geeking because in my mind that's so that's something good. my 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 best friend and i would do we would literally act like we about to fight look at it look at them and be like all right get ready Okay, I got you. Right. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna punch me in the gonna, face, right? Punch now. me in the face, you get up to the roof. I'm like, I'm like, but that's 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 something honestly we have never seen before when it comes to these characters and how they interact. Like, like one of the best interactions between Batman outside of Jim Gordon. Come on now, we gotta we gotta give uh Catwoman, we gotta give her love. Because we never we we always yeah. made Batman seem like um almost like a player. Like if you really go back and look through the Nolan films, every other time he got some woman under yeah. him. And it's just like, okay, we get it. You Bruce Wayne. It's like, but but in my mind, I'm thinking, dude, you've been gone from Gotham for years. Okay. You and you just come back mm-hmm. and you got juice. You know, when he he's he what? <laughs> and they they reference that in uh in the the Batwoman uh CW show where um, God, I forget his name. The guy who, who Hush, yeah. you know that. Mm-hmm. I forget the alias, but yeah, um, where he's posing as Bruce Wayne, and uh, uh, and one of the someone makes a remark about someone who knows Bruce Wayne. It's like, oh, uh, you came back from your um, uh, spree of uh, cocaine and supermodels, and I was like, oh, this that's Bruce in this, <laughs> right? Which is an aspect of Bruce that you know does exist that he does put on as a its own sort of public facing mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something else that I wanted to get back to before we go on it, because we do need to talk about Selena Kyle, because Zoe Kravitz like chewed up every bit of scene, <sighs> scene that she was in. When talking about Batman and the things that we haven't seen before, uh, I heard the critique that, you know, it was frustrating to see Batman walk into a, a, a crime scene because he doesn't walk in. He's there already. But bearing in mind that this is the uh, version of uh, Batman that is on the way of becoming Batman, mm-hmm. right? And there's a scene or two, I think it's when they see the footage of his family right uh as part of the riddler trap and he and jim looks around and he's just gone right Mm so so we see that progression happening a little bit there of him becoming who will be the legend of the batman but there's there's a line in the comic kingdom come which for anyone who's not familiar is a four-part yeah yeah. a four-part series um yeah, it's a great graphic novel, but there's a there's a point where Batman says to Superman when Superman comes out of retirement, Batman who at this point has is old and needs like an exosuit to stay upright because all those like hits and and knocks have like taken a toll on his body. He's gone full tilt fascist. He is running the police state of mm-hmm. Gotham, right? Um such that even it seems like the common people are afraid of him, but he says to Superman in reference to Superman's attempt to like recruit other heroes to his cause, Batman says, they'll fear me before they trust you. Mm. And that perspective of like, I need to exert control, fear is the best way to do it, and I can make them fall in line, which has very sort of like authoritarian undertones to it. I appreciated undertones. Well, I mean, I'm being generous here. Um, <laughs> so subtle. Yeah. He's so subtle he about his fascism. He it's, is. Yeah. Listen, it's okay. He's a rich white man and they've never led us astray. Um, uh, so, Hey, what's Jeff Bezos up to? Right now? Um, and Elon Musk. Uh, so, it, but, but in this movie, I got that impression. Certainly at the beginning, as we see this idea of him um, following that path of like, they'll fear me before 
any other, that will be a more effective tool before anything else, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, we see that sort of shift throughout. And I would suggest that a part of that shift comes from his interactions with Selena, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because she does occupy the part of the world that uh, that Batman has been in, but never right. of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I mean, when it comes to Selena, Selena is the one character that I believe Batman, it's going to sound weird, Batman can't figure out. He's able to figure out murderers. He's able to figure out police. He cannot figure out this woman. Like he played that video just like like one of those. You remember when you're like 16 and your girlfriend texts you one of those texts and you you just read it over and over and you're trying to decipher it. He literally played that video of her saying, "I'm not. I don't have a relationship." Over and over and over again. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, "Oh, you got a crush and you can't figure out who she is." Like she she just comes from this world where where she she's she represents like the the dark side of being a regular person in Gotham. She represents like I'm trying to get out, but in doing doing so, I have to do certain things that may go against morality. And Batman, who's supposed to represent morality for some weird way of breaking bones and you know giving people concussions. He can't, he, 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 it's like she messes with his head to the point where he's like, okay, I understand. Take them. Like, like. I was going to say, you know what's interesting about that though? And, and to emphasize and underscore your point, uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne, is not dumb when it comes to understanding women. He understands like Talia al Ghul, mm-hmm. right? He understands characters like Poison Ivy. Uh, it, like, he, well, obviously, he doesn't agree with them, but he understands how they operate. But Selena is, like you said, one character that in almost every iteration is not unknowable, but certainly elusive even Correct. to him. I, I was incredibly frustrated with their relationship throughout the entire <laughs> film. It actually, like, here we go. Pop off. <laughs> so I felt like it was. Uh, Batman doesn't know how to do his own job. And yet he is not about to withhold his opinions on how this woman who is navigating her own world, he's jumping into her world, and he's not afraid at every single step of the way to critique her methods or her her motivations or, like, why she's doing what she's doing or, or any of that. When he's not even willing to do that with himself until the end of the film, which I still have problems with his conclusion, but whatever. Oh, boy. And he... He's just endlessly like, oh, no, 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 no. See, you're doing it the wrong way. Oh, no, 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 no. See, that would harm your integrity. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. See, see, that's a, that's a, that's a problem because what you don't understand is that I have the solution and, mm-hmm. and what my priorities are the actual priorities. You, you're getting distracted with this uh, intimate partner. Of sure, yours. sure. Your friend's I, gone. Yeah, or missing. But it's all sure. Right. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're missing the bigger picture uh, here, which is what I want to do. At the same time, like at the end, Catwoman's like, I'm done with your BS now. I got to get out of here because of, again, probably like he's like just dragging her through all this right. stuff. She's like, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm just trying to look out for my best friend. And you're making me want to wear contact lenses <laughs> and like yeah. hit on like. Not to DEA. mention he totally yeah. was yeah. like doing some peeping Tom stuff through that movie. I'm not even going to cap. Okay, so wait, hold on. Can we talk about that? Where it's like sex? No. <laughs> Not like, okay, Are we going to be reviewing these techniques here or what? <laughs> yeah. But like, again, with, with the binoculars POV, that's a direct parallel to the Riddler at mm-hmm. the beginning yes. of the film. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, that building up that, 
that very much similar. Uh, yeah, we're comparing. Yeah, we're we're led as an audience to compare the Riddler and him yeah. in their methods throughout the film. Yeah, and to that point, he lets her know that not long after he does yeah. the binocular scene, right? Because he says, "Well, at your home, this is what happened." And there's no way he would know unless he was doing that, right? Yeah, which is right. which is a bit of a power move. It is a bit of a yes. flex, which is, again, grossly inappropriate and in an inhumane invasion of privacy. But, yeah. Um, For so which he, he's never concerned no, about. And not, I, not I, I don't feel like the film leads us to be concerned about that. It's just kind of yeah. like, look, understand, I'm, I'm the one in control here. And, yeah. and I feel like the film is constantly trying to convince us to be sympathetic to Batman, which is the premise of the film. I'm not like he's, he's morally questionable, but at the same time, never fully questionable. He's not unsympathetic. It's off limits. According to the way the film Mm -hmm. frames it, he is off limits for full critique Uh because in his heart, he means well. And, and that counts for something, right? That's all that matters, Barry. What are you talking about? That's, that's the real deal. But I would argue, Listen. But I would argue, I'm thinking about it, and y'all say, okay, Batman, obviously, he's got some jacked up points, especially with Selena and how he's mans- Just yeah, some. And mansplaining. And, One, maybe and two. And how he's trying to- Totally forgivable. <laughs> Talk to the semi-truck driver that is now a charred oh, God. piece of overcooked <laughs> barbecue. I, you know what? Hey, anyway. he got the wrong guy at exactly. the end. Exactly. <laughs> And left him to just continue being that a bad person. Whatever. I have no idea that such a poor translation <laughs> oh. of Spanish would have a body oh, count God. attached to it. Let's <laughs> have some bodies on the back. Isaiah, go ahead. We've been no, cutting no, you no, off. No, 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 you're ahead. good. You're good. I mean, it kind of brings us to my point. Like, like, look, we say that Batman was controlling Selena that whole time and trying to dominate. But can we at least admit that before Selena, before Selena, this man was straight focused? lasered in and i don't know what he saw in the binoculars that made him say damn what is your name i want to i want to say that it's seeing again like so seeing that she comes from this world mm -hmm. but her motives aren't a hundred percent wrong is like okay me being up in like my penthouse like for my entire life and thinking i know what the underground is like is not exactly like what I led to believe. But I think it was more. I think it was more than just that. If you go back to the funeral scene, that's right after she says, I don't have a relationship. Now you see Bruce Wayne. You see the man under the cow. Okay, well, hold on. We need to talk about that as well, too. The duality between Bruce Wayne and Batman, because in this movie, this is the most Batman-heavy movie Mm -hmm. we've ever seen. And he doesn't, he isn't Bruce Wayne being Batman. Batman He's Batman being Bruce Wayne. The, The only time we see quote unquote Bruce Wayne is using it to progress this mm-hmm. this case. Right. He's even willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne to like continue Batman's that's because, mission. Right. Again, yeah. like he was like he was like that's not my my parents' legacy. This me being Batman, the the Gotham right. project. I don't is, care if I lose everything that exactly. Bruce Wayne has. That's because yeah. Bruce Wayne but, is the mask and Batman is the actual person. And you notice that with the duality of one of the best scenes in the movie because it happens twice. Oh. The, the knock on the door. Do you know who I am? As Batman, right? Then after they find out, after Batman finds out his dad was on some uh on some, you know, some gangster stuff, handle that problem, then knock on the door again. Do you know who I am? And it's like you finally see like Bruce Wayne is the mask because the real person, the real person, Batman, is confident and strong 
always know who he is. He solidifies himself with that symbol and what he stands for. And Bruce Wayne is the person that people look at and they're like, oh, we he's he's innocent. He he doesn't know it. Just the way he, he like doesn't even make eye contact. He's like, he's got his head down. He's like right. nervous. And he's like, do you know who I they're am? Like, yeah, you're Bruce Wayne. All right, folks, so uh, that is going to conclude part one of our conversation with Jack and Isaiah. We're going to pick it up with next week with part two. Um, sorry for having to cut it right here. Uh, we just had to pick a spot, and this made the most sense to us. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to finishing this conversation with you next week. moment when they're when the water's rushing in and they're in the the, the stadium uh and i thought killer croc killer croc killer croc here we go this is this is it um <laughs> Could you imagine if just out of literally I nowhere have, i would have sold a kidney to fund the next one are you kidding me like because there's never a time where i felt like killer croc really fit and the and like the adaptations where he showed up it's like this is it we're going lake placid we're gonna start munching on kids it's what? great and then like and then we're gonna